John's Gospel, chapter 19, please. And we just want to read the first seven verses. Just let me get a drink. It's very warm and stuffy, as it were, in here this evening. If you feel you need to loosen your tie, if you're wearing one, or take off your jacket, whatever you need to do to make yourself more comfortable, please feel free to do so. Pardon me. John chapter 19, please, beginning to read at verse 1. Then Pilate, therefore, took Jesus and scourged him. There's a sermon in itself. And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priests therefore and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we declare your Son to be the Son of God. The Son of God with power, arisen from the dead. And Father, this evening we thank you for him. He who loved us and gave himself for us. We thank you for the precious blood that he shed, that we might be free from our debt, saved from our sin, and washed and cleansed that we might be clothed with his righteousness. Father, tonight we thank you for so many in this house and we pray you bless them. Every head represents a family and a home. As our faces differ, so do our needs. And so we pray tonight, Lord, that you would meet that need. We thank you for the wonderful sense of your presence, not only now, but even this morning all day being with us. Great is your faithfulness, Lord. And we can say this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. So, Father, help a man of frailty with clay lips to be able to preach your word, to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. And, Lord, we pray through the Spirit and the word, Lord, that you would show Christ in it all, that they may behold the Lamb of God, the risen Christ, he whom we declare the Son of God in our lives. Father, if there's one that is not saved tonight, we pray you'd continue, Lord, to deal and speak tonight, wherever they are, whoever they are, Lord, would you meet them at their point of their need? We pray for the sick among us. We pray for those who are at home, Lord. There's so many, Lord, who need a touch from you. We ask you, Lord, to meet them right now. Those who are watching us live, we pray, Lord, you'd bless them. And Lord, we ask you that your word, which is not bound, would go forth in power. And Lord, may it change lives. May it encourage the Christian. May it help the believer, Lord. May it heal the sick. May it save souls by drawing them to the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, in his name we ask it. Amen. The title this evening is The Glory of the Crown of Thorns. The Glory of the Crown of Thorns. Now you and I, when we see or hear 
or read of the thorns that were placed upon the head of the Lord Jesus, I'm sure many of us have realized that, that it's not those little thorns that are on the rose stem, but rather great big thorns of inches in length driven into the brow of the master. What could be glorious about it? What could be so wonderful about that? In our reading, it says in verse 2, the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head. In verse 5, it says, then came forth Jesus wearing the crown of thorns. Picture him for when Pilate comes and says to the Jewish crowd and to the chief priests and the rabbis that are there calling for his crucifixion, he cries unto them, I find no fault in him. In fact, he says, I find no fault in him at all. And so this innocent man who's beaten to a bloody pulp, we find that in verse 5, then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns, and the purple robe and Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. Now you have to understand the idea that is here when Pilate is bringing Christ to them to say, Behold the man. It's not just a, a way that he brings forth Jesus, gentle, meek, and mild, with a crown of thorns, daintily and gently put upon his brow, and with a robe around him, maybe to keep him warm because he's been through the cool night air. No, no, and a thousand times no. The idea here is that Christ has been manhandled and beaten the whole night long. That his face is marred more than any man. He is battered and he is bruised. He's being made an example of. And even though Christ is innocent of all charges, we find that Pilate says, Behold the man to the crowd. Why? Because the word behold here, it gives the idea of shock, horror, awe, and an amazement. In other words, Pilate brings Jesus forth, split open, battered and bruised, his very beard pulled from his face, the crown of thorns driven into his skull, with the blood streaming from him, from every place of his body, almost unrecognizable to man. He comes and he says, Behold the man. This is how it reads. He says, Behold him. Behold the man. Now look ye here at him. That's the idea when Christ brings forth, pardon me, Pilate brings forth Christ to the, the Jewish crowd. In other words, he's saying, has he not had enough? Do you not think he's paid enough, he says? Do you not think he's been through enough the pain and the torment and the anguish from a night at the Roman scourge and from the beating and the battering, the bruising. Has he not been through enough? Look at him, he's innocent. Do you not know that he is the spotless Lamb of God? Friend, do you not know that he is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world? Do you not behold him and see this spectacle, and I said with reverence to my Lord and Savior, this spectacle, this specimen before the crowd being presented before you tonight. Now look at him. Get a good look at him. 
It means look this way. Behold the man. Has he not gone through enough? Crucify him. Crucify him, they cried. Kill him. In other words, they're saying, we will not have this man to rule over us. He must die a death. We find that he goes forth wearing the crown of thorns. Verse 5, then came forth Jesus wearing a crown of thorns. Now the word of the Lord has a term, it's called the law of first mention. And it can be most helpful for you and I to find out what the crown of thorns meant, what it symbolized and what it stood for, the meaning of it. Many ways we follow what's known as the Bible pattern from the first mention of the thorns. And if you turn with me, please, to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 18, you'll find the first mention. And a little later then in Numbers 33, the mention changes where the thorns are likened unto the Canaanites. Many of them throughout time changed even Judaism. Standing before Christ, rejecting him. Notice what it says in Genesis chapter 3, please, and let your eye run down. And we'll just pick out one or two verses. Verse 17, please, will do. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground. Notice, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Notice, thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. Thou shalt eat the herb of the field and the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return to the ground, for out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, unto dust shalt thou return. The first mention of the word thorn is along with the thistle. It is the representation of the curse of the very ground. You are made of dust, he says to Adam. The very ground that you're made from, you will sweat in your brow. In the toil of the day that you'll bring forth bread to eat. The woman will suffer in child labor. The devil, well, you will be cast to the ground, serpent, and your head will be crushed. We're at Calvary. And the ground which you come from, Adam, the thorn and the thistle will remind you of the curse that is upon the very earth that you're made from. You came from dust you will return to dust again. Now notice, brothers and sisters and friends, there's thistles mentioned, and I think it's worthy to look at it for a moment, for it is part of the curse, the sign of the curse. The word thistle here is the word dare dare. And it is used only in another couple of occasions throughout the Old Testament. For example, in Hosea chapter 10 and verse 8, the Lord is, through the prophets, speaking to the northern kingdom and the house of Israel who have had their own form of worship, idolatrous worship, set up their own idol, idol temples that's meant to replicate that which was in Jerusalem, which was false apostate religion. They offered sacrifices to Yahweh as they supposed or thought of him in their mind, but really they were offering unto a bull calf god, an idol god that they had made up of their own thinking. 
You see, that's idolatry when men and women make up a God of their own thinking and he is not the God of the Scripture. And we hear it in all over our nation and we hear it all over the world today. We hear it in different societies and sects where it's the God of their thinking. We hear it in man and in woman. I think God wouldn't and I think God is. Then you've just formed the idol if it's not according to this word. You've formed an idol. And that's what Israel did. They formed an idol to their own thinking and out of the abundance of the heart their mouth spoke, their mind thought and so they fashioned bull calves to worship and they put an, al- an altar there. That altar was on a blasphemous altar for it was not the way God said they were to come which was to be at the southern kingdom at the time in Jerusalem in the temple. God says, I'll meet you where the Ark of the Covenant is to Moses in the, in the wilderness. He says, there I will meet with you. And there, he says, I will talk with you. And nowhere else in the whole world could man get to know God, save the way, one, God told him to come. And two, where God told him to meet him. And it's the same today in the new covenant. Man cannot get to know God in any other way, save Christ and Christ alone. How God says and where God says, How God says is through his son. Where God says is in his son at Calvary's tree where we must repent of our sin and be saved, forgiven of our sins. And notice this. They in the northern kingdom in Hosea. Hosea was the prophet to the ten tribes in the north. And listen to what he says, speaking of judgment that is to come upon them. He says, the sin of Israel shall be destroyed. In other words, you're idols and your altars, the sin that you're doing, that's going to be torn down. It's going to be destroyed. You're going to pay for this. I could say that to our, our British uh, prime minister and all of those who are making up lies and things behind the people's back to keep them in a Babylonian style European Union. I could say that to men and women who bow down to altars and idols and churches across our land tonight. When they bow there, they're thinking they're worshiping a God, but it's a God of their own making. I could say that to men and women who are in all sorts of denominations, whether they're Christian or not, and they're saying that here is God, and I worship him my way, but not according to the scriptures. And right across the land, I could say that to different organizations who think, well, God will love me just in my sin and the way I want to be. And they're making God of their own machinations and imaginations, and they're thinking of this. God says, you'll come my way. Notice, the sin of Israel shall be destroyed. In other words, that sin will stand against you and the enemy comes in, he will destroy it, Israel. I'm going to use the devil to destroy that which you love. Because it wasn't God. Maybe God's speaking to someone in the spirit tonight. That which you love before him, God says he'll use the devil to take it out of your life. The sin of Israel shall be destroyed. The thorn and the thistle. Notice the thorn and the thistle shall come up on their altars. And they shall say to the mountains, cover us to the hills fallen us. Notice what God says here. He says that the, the altars themselves shall have thistles. Curses, in other words, upon it. Cursed be your altars. Cursed be your idols. Cursed be your apostate religion. Cursed. 
Cursed, cursed, said God, and the enemy will come in. I will allow him to come in that he may destroy it. Why, he says, that I might be glorified. Oh, friend, hard to hear, hard preaching, but what about our lives? What about the lives of those who are Christ rejectors? What about those who have fallen away from him and want nothing to do with him? What about those men and women that Christ says? You've turned away from me and you've loved other things and you've served other gods and you're worshiping other idols. Well, then, if you want that life, I'll step back and allow the devil just to take it away from you. Friend, the old poor got it right and maybe all set in our hearts tonight and put it into plan and action. The greatest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. Notice here the thorn and the thistle, the dare dare. This word is used when it calls the Canaanites the same. God said, See these cursed Canaanites. They're in the land. Just get rid of them. The word thorns is a, is a word, kutsi. And it simply means to prick or a stark reminder that the earth is under the curse every time we touch a thistle or a thorn and we prick our fingers and the little spot of blood comes out or we jerk in a reaction away from it. That's to remind you that you're under a curse unless you're in Christ. The very earth in which we were made from and fashioned and formed, it is cursed. Notice here we find that even in the Hebrew, book of Hebrews in the New Testament, Hebrews 6, verses 7 and 8. Hebrews 6, verses 7 and 8. 7 and 8, pardon me. For the earth which drinketh in the rain, that cometh oft upon it, and bringeth forth herbs, meat for them by whom it is dressed, Receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. What did the writer of Hebrews mean when he had written this? Simply this if the ground blessed by the rain brings forth fruit, And if the ground blessed by the same rain brings forth thorns and thistles, who can then call the landowner unjust or say his ways are unrighteous if he burns that parcel of land due to the thorns that are in it? That's what he means. In other words, you've heard the word of God. And many have responded and got gloriously saved by sovereign grace, trusting in the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet there are those who have heard the same word of blessing, the same word, the same gospel of saving grace of the love of God come down to save the souls of men and women, yet there be no fruit in the turning to Christ, yet in the days of the Jews they turned him away and they were like a dry tree 
thorns and thistles they brought forth unto God. And there's many today are the same. And the word of God says, who can blame the landowner? In other words, who can blame Almighty God? Who can blame him to gather up that which is thorn and thistle and burn them? What a stark reminder of the gospel and the both sides of the coin. Salvation by grace and the wrath of God for the Christ rejecter. So in our reading in John 19 and verse 2, it says, The soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And in verse 5 of the same chapter, it says, And Jesus went forth wearing the crown of thorns. Now this crown, it generally would speak of royalty. Even in uh, Roman circles and Greek circles, it speaks of royalty. <coughs> Excuse me. Speaks of divinity. It speaks of authority. And it's called at the games the victor's crown. Now, usually it was a laurel wreath. And throughout the scriptures, this type of crown is called the Stephanos. Throughout the rest of, not all of them, but throughout the rest of scripture as according to games. The Stephanos or the victor's crown. Now, here's the thing a battered Christ. A bruised and beaten son of God. A bloodied man who is now being called for his crucifixion and death on the cross comes forth. What sort of a crown is this that might be claimed to be put upon his head? They plaited a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and little did they know that the one who they mocked as king. He truly is the king of kings. They did it in mock and they did it in ignorance, but little did they know that he was the beloved son of his father, that he is the suffering servant in whom God delighted. And while the Jews and the Romans thought they were masters and were in control of the judgment of Christ, and the beating and the crucifixion of the same. Little did they know that he, the Lord Jesus, was fulfilling the word of God. He was walking in obedience to the will of his Father. And here he carried the curse upon his own head, symbolized by the crown of thorns he bore on his lovely bride. He went forth, not as a defeat or in defeat, he went forth as the great king, the champion, and the victor of all. They thought, let's mock him. And they plaited a crown of thorns. But here is the glory of it when they placed it upon his brow. Not my brow or any other brow would have done. Not an apostle's nor a prophet's brow. Not a patriarch's brow. But when they put it on the brow of Jesus, they put it upon the king. They put it upon the victor. Aaron, close that for me. They planted a crown of thorns and they placed it upon his head. 
And little did they know that while he was fulfilling the word of God, they were pronouncing the judgment upon their own. In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 4, Glenn read the chapter this morning around the Lord's table. Surely have borne our graves and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him with his stripes. We are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. And we have turned everyone to his own way. Listen, and the Lord hath laid in him the iniquity of us all. Oh man, he done his worst. But God was revealing his best. <laughs> he was revealing his champion. Oh, the Lord hath fled in him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53 and verse 10 says, It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. There was never once, never once, not one time was there ever that God was out of control and Christ knew not that he was doing. He went all the way willingly to die for you and me. Amen. He was always in charge. Think us not that at this present time could call 12 legions of angels. <laughs> now listen, we hear the song singing, he could have called 10,000 angels. Well, yeah, he could have. But 12 legions of angels is far more than 10,000 angels. He could have called at least, if you want to go by those numbers, 76,000 angels. <laughs> he just would have swamped the whole of Jerusalem by the big angelic figures from every part of the Via Dolorosa. He could have been there covering Mount Calvary with angels. He could have been at the very temple gate and at the very porch of the temple. He could have been at Pilate's judgment hall at Gabbatha. He could have been right the whole way through Golgotha. Fill it, Father, with the angels to prevent me from the suffering death. He could have, but he didn't. He didn't because if he had of. I would still be in my sin. You would still be in your sin. And we would be damned and lost for all eternity. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. This crown upon his head. We're told, then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns. You see, on his head, he bore the curse. In his body, he bore our sin. On his back with his stripes, he bore our sicknesses. And with his blood, 
he paid our debt. What a Christ. Come on, brothers and sisters, what a Savior. What a Savior. What a Lord. Thomas Kelly, an old Dubliner from a hundred and something years ago, how he got it right when he wrote, The head that once was crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now, is crowned with glory now. A royal diadem adorns the mighty victor's bride, the mighty victor's bride. He lives, he lives. I know that my Redeemer lives. He lives, he lives. I know that my Redeemer lives. Hallelujah. And I apologize for everybody watching online, listening to that. <laughs> Me singing like that. But you know what? I don't care. For if you were where I was when he found me and saved me, then, brothers and sisters, you should be singing just like me. <laughs> Maybe better than me. But what a Christ. What a Lord. What a Savior. What a God. Oh, the glory of the crown of thorns. Only through faith. I want to quote Pastor Charles Jennings, my friend from Oklahoma. Only through faith can we understand that in the cross of Christ, listen, God hid his power in weakness, his wisdom in folly, his goodness in severity, his justice in wrath, his mercy in anger, his victory in defeat, and his glory in shame. And that's what he did at the cross. Listen, the devil thought he had won. <laughs> but no way. He is always God. He is always in charge. He is always on the throne. And the risen Christ says, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore and have the keys of death and hell. Amen and amen. What a Savior. Brothers and sisters, if you're saved, if you're born again, if you're filled with the Holy Ghost, would you say praise the Lord? Come on, praise Him. Praise Him. Hallelujah. He went forth wearing the crown of thorns, such glory in it that was hidden to the eyes of all men, but known only to His Father. Listen, here's the thing. He went forth wearing the crown of thorn on his head. Notice John 19 and 17. Where did he go? He went to Golgotha. is the place of the skull. And there they crucified him and he crushed the head of the serpent. <laughs> Isn't it marvelous? Isn't it wonderful? 
Oh, the glory of Christ, uh, this curse from Genesis chapter 3, that man who is taken from the very dust of the earth and cursed, uh, and he will go and die on the earth. Here is the blessing of it also. I'm going to have to do two weeks in this. Here is the blessing of it. For tonight, there's more blessings next week. Here's the blessings of it. That in the resurrection, that in the second coming, where you and I are at the cusp of that glorious return, that glorious appearing of the great God, even our Savior Jesus Christ, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Why? Because Christ has defeated the curse. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. I was listening to a song just yesterday morning, all that heavy rain, and I think a lot of people were like myself. They were trapped inside. I took cabin fever by about half three, and I'd read the, I'd read the scriptures, and I'd went and prayed, and then I thought, I even tried to clean the house with all and believe it or not. <laughs> I'd done a bit of the kitchen, and I had... And just music playing on the phone, and I was just listening to certain songs, and I thought one caught me, and uh, it just made my heart rejoice. And I listened to John Starnes, and he sang at the midnight cry, When Jesus comes again. And he says, When Jesus steps, I wish I could sing it, but I will not damage your ears anymore. <laughs> when Jesus steps out, on the cloud to call his children, the dead in Christ shall rise to meet him in the air. And then those that remain shall be quickly changed. Oh, hallelujah. I'm about to get Pentecostal on you. Start to dance before the Lord. Amen. Shall remain. Oh, they shall be changed. Listen, we're alive when Christ returns. We're going to be caught up and we're going to be changed in the moment. Listen, it's not secret rapture where we're all caught up and secretly changed quickly together. It's the change that happens in the moment in the twinkling over the eye, not the catching away. The only thing that's secret is that then they are. Oh, the skies are going to roll back like a scroll. And the dead in Christ started thinking of my family who got saved even just before they died. And I was going, Lord, I'm trusting you. Yesterday afternoon, standing at the sink with bleach in my hands, and I was going, Lord, I'm trusting you. You can worship him anywhere you know in spirit and in truth. Lord, I'm thinking of my family that have died, even those at the very deathbed who have called on your name to be saved. Lord, I'm trusting that I will see them again. <laughs> and I stood there, bleach running down my arms and tears running down my face. I says, oh God, let it be so. What a day. That will be. Come on, we'll sing it, will we? Am I going to have to start it? <laughs> what a day that will be. Hallelujah. 
When I look upon his face, the one who say, bless him, oh glory, when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, oh what a day, glorious day that will be there'll be no sorrow there hallelujah oh sing it oh glory and no more parting over there and forever What a day, glorious day. Oh, what a day. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon your face, the one who saved me by his grace when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land what a day glorious day that will be hallelujah Oh, that's the believer's hope. That's the hope of the believer. I trust this hope is in your breast, in your heart. You see, I'm going to round this up in a moment. In Colossians chapter 3, in verses 14 and 15 tells us what Christ hath accomplished as he went forth bearing the crown of thorns. If you'll turn to the book of Colossians, please. Chapter 3. And that's arrive on down to verse 14. Pardon me, it's Colossians 2. I've written the wrong one. Verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. You see, there's a, a list of ordinances, law-breaking of the Lord's law. From Adam right through, through Israel, Right to me and you. And there's a list that is written, the books that are opened in Revelation 20. Handwriting of ordinances that are against you. And Christ blotted them out. He wiped the slate clean, it means. 
blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary unto us, he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. What a God. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. <laughs> <Isn't> it? <laughs> oh, this is wonderful. Having spoiled principalities and powers. Do you know what the idea is? Having spoiled them, it means he completely stripped them. <laughs> they stripped him and nailed him to the cross, but he stripped them. He stripped them off their authority. And he stripped them off their power. Every foul demon spirit that was behind those who cried for his crucifixion and those who put the nails in his hands and then his feet and lashes upon his back, those who had driven the crown of thorns of cursing and the symbol of it into his brow, he completely stripped them. He spoiled them and he made a show of them openly. Listen, he triumphed. Now listen, folks, and I'm not trying to be controversial. I'm just saying it as it is. The Pope recently stated that Jesus failed on the cross. Now you listen to the scripture, not to the Pope nor to me. It says he triumphed. The scripture says he triumphed on the cross. He went all the way. Notice he spoiled principalities and powers. He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. And the idea here is that he, he triumphed in himself. Some th think it means that he is God and he triumphed within himself. They took him from the cross and laid him in the tomb. Ah, he's gone. <laughs> we have defeated him. But 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 8 says these words, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. <laughs> you know what happens? Look, people mistake meekness for weakness, don't they? When you're meek with people, they mistake it that you're weak. <laughs> but meekness isn't weakness. Do you know what meekness is? Strength under control. Meekness is strength under control. And the whole power of the creator of heaven resided in a body of flesh. <laughs> And strength under control allowed feeble man whose breath is in his nostrils to nail him to the tree. And they took him down. We've got him, says every foul spirit. Every demon in darkness of hell, uh, they clapped their hands, as it were, with glee and joy that this one, the seed of the woman of Genesis 3 and 15, who was to crush the serpent's head, the serpent rejoicing, we've got him! But on the third day, up from the grave he arose. 
with a mighty triumph for his foes. He arose the victor from a dark domain, and he lives forever with the saints to reign. He arose, he arose. Hallelujah. Christ arose. To show them openly, he showed their depravity and the unbelief of their heart. He showed the wickedness of man's inventions and intentions and machinations. He showed the spirit of Antichrist, which masqueraded as religious belief and authoritarian power of Rome. He showed the works of the serpent in the lives of men, and he showed the vanity of the gods of this earth, sitting as a god of the earth, who was the very Caesar. That's what he showed. He showed them up for who they were. And then when he rose again, he showed himself for who he really is. The Son of God, risen with power. He stripped them of all they had, of all they could claim. They, putting a crown of thorns upon him, little did they know, they were sealing their doom. They were judging them own selves. They were defeating their own beings. And while still they rejected Christ and mocking him, they couldn't see their fate because they didn't know the Christ who would triumph. You see, and that's the problem with many people today. They just see a man. And they just see how he died on a cross, if he even happened to exist. That's another message for another time. One, he did exist, and there's proof, and two, yes, he did die. But that's all I see. But when I look at him, on this side of the cross and on this side of repentance, and on this side of the Spirit showing me the glory of Christ, I see as he went through those gates or those doors as it were with plattered crown of thorns I'll tell you what I see I see a man bearing my sin taking the curse and I see him as the king of kings and the lord of lords and I see him as the one who rose again for me that's what I see May God bless his word to all of our hearts this evening. The glory of the crown of thorns. Here's something for you to think about for next week, God willing. Unless something drastically changes and the Lord leads me to something else. Here's something about the glory. And if you're writing, write it down quickly. See if you can find it. Because of his crown of thorns, because he bore the crown of thorns, there's five crowns, the believer in him, the overcoming saint will receive. There is an uncorruptible crown. There's a crown of righteousness. There's a crown of rejoicing. There's a crown of glory. And hallelujah, there's a crown of life. Next week in the Lord's will, I'll look at those crowns. We'll dissect them and we'll show you the glory of this crown of thorns.